This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. We're internet sensations, guys. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons, 3 to 7 on WSJS. You are on a Thursday drive, WSJS, News Taunt Sports for the Triad, where if you thought the Drake May hype train was already too much, it just jumped up a notch in the Sports Illustrated Monday morning quarterback column for this week. Albert Breer was speaking to Trent Dilfer, who's about to begin his first season as UAB's coach, but qualified on quarterbacks. He's trained many of the top college quarterbacks back when they were all in Elite 11 camps. And when Drake May's name came up, this is what Trent Dilfer said, and I'm quoting. He's Joe Burrow, who we know to be one of the great players in the NFL. So there's nothing negative here. It's more like, let's get our analogies right. Burrow's a very good athlete. He was a good high school basketball player. He's a great competitor. But what separates Joe Burrow is this innate quality, this nuance of the game that people want to say is something that it's not because you don't know how to define it. Instead of just saying, I don't know how to define it. Burrow has that. Drake May has that. That's how Dilfer sees Drake May. While the North Carolina football team is likely being overrated for this year, overvalued. The Joe Burrow comparison is spot on for Drake May. Let's just start with the physicality piece. They are strikingly similar. They have the same build. Both 6'4", roughly 225, 215, in that general range, 220, 225. They have the same athleticism. Dilfer mentioned that Burrow is a good high school player. Drake May... Pretty good high school basketball player as well. Multi-sport athlete, mobile, can move. It's not just moving in the pocket. There is a scrambling element to both of their games, and they have the same talent level. And you might push back on that saying, well, come on, Josh, Drake May, he's at North Carolina. Let's not forget that Drake May was once an Alabama commit. And then... Alabama tried to pull him away from North Carolina again after this past season. Allegedly, allegedly that that happened. Similarly, Joe Burrow went to one of the best schools in the country. He went to Ohio State. They don't just recruit anybody to play quarterback at Ohio State. He couldn't find the field because there were really good players in front of him. He goes to LSU. That's a pretty good place to be as well. So the talent level, it does track. But the problem is, the reason why North Carolina isn't going to experience and Drake May is not going to experience the level that Joe Burrow experienced is because, not because Drake May can't be Joe Burrow, but because North Carolina isn't LSU. Mac Brown is not Ed Orgeron. They're not the same person. Probably the best way to say that. Go Tigers. Chip Lindsey, the new offensive coordinator North Carolina has, is not Joe Brady. Go Tigers. Elijah Green, North Carolina's running back, is not Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Go Tigers. And certainly, <laughs> after losing Josh Downs and Antoine Green, whoever Drake May is throwing to is likely not Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. The Tar Heels, they're not a national title contender. 
Oh, but Josh, you're a hater. Oh, wait, wait, you're not talking about basketball, are you? Okay, yeah, football, we agree on that. We're not a national title contender in football, but don't say it about basketball, even though we didn't make the tournament last year. No, Cormac Ryan, ACC, all ACC team. Armando Baycott, oh, he's going to be a national player of the year. Armando. <laughs> Go Tigers. You could say we're not a national title contender, but make sure you're talking about football. You better not be talking about basketball, Graham. And even if North Carolina isn't special, this is the good news for Drake. He still can go very high in the draft. Unlike Sam Howell, who had high expectations, was mocked to be a top 10 pick going into his final year, and ended up dropping to the fifth round when North Carolina was pedestrian, Drake May has the physical tools that Sam Howell didn't possess. In other words, Sam Howell was short. Drake May, not short. He is the prototypical size. He's exactly what you want. And even if North Carolina isn't great, Duke wasn't great when Daniel Jones went sixth, uh, sixth overall. You know, Wyoming wasn't all that impressive, and neither was Josh Allen his final year when Allen went seventh to the Bills. And I could come up with a million examples. Trey Lance didn't even play. The COVID season, the year before he was drafted, out of an FCS program. Before he was taken third, and the Niners traded nine picks up to number three in order to take him. So even if North Carolina isn't in an ACC championship game or having as good of a year as they had a year ago, doesn't mean Drake May still can't go high in the draft. This Joe Burrow comparison from Trent Dilfer, it's spot on for Drake May. It really is. On Twitter, at WSJS Radio, if you want in, that's where we're streaming video. In addition to YouTube and Twitch, Will Dalton, the executive producer of this show, WD, remind the people what movie you watched for the first time last night and you'll be reviewing on today's show. I watched The Karate Kid last night and not Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan. Why do you keep bringing that movie up? We Well, I have to clarify. No, I need them don't. to know which one it is. People know. Do they? They do. No one acknowledges Wax the one on. that came on 15 Wax years ago. Off. Nobody acknowledges the Jaden Smith version. When you say you watch Karate Kid, it's like when people say, do you watch White Men Can't Jump? No one's talking about the one that came out in the last few years. We're talking about Woody Harrelson, and we're talking about Wesley Snipes. You don't need that clarification point. Put him in a body bag! <laughs> Fantastic. Yep. Today was a good day for college basketball, which means, given where we live, it's a good day for sports fans around here. Because... The NCAA tournament is secure, at least for the foreseeable future. A couple of headlines on this. The NCAA announced today that expansion of the tournament is, quote, not imminent. And this comes about six months after the recommendation came down, this is back in January, that 25% of teams competing should participate in annual NCAA championship events, whether that's men's basketball or water polo, 25%. Which means when there are roughly 355, 360 Division I teams in NCAA D1 college basketball, you're talking about a 90-team field. This is something that's been suggested in recent years. The fact that this wasn't implemented right now after that recommendation came down six months ago tells me college basketball has seen the backlash. They've seen the backlash to expanding this far at this point. People don't want it. I can get grandma to fill out the 68-team bracket. 
You could fit it on one sheet of paper, legal size. Can't really do that with 90 teams. You don't want to jump the shark. And the reason you don't, the NCAA, technically a nonprofit organization, even though there's some corruption there, there's some stuff that's a little sketchy. We all understand that. This is their primary fundraiser. We're talking about 70, 80, more than that of what they make on an annual basis comes from this basketball tournament. You do not mess with that. You do not put that at risk, especially when you see the backlash that came from that earlier this year. So that's a good thing. Most of us, certainly myself, not in favor of expanding the tournament. And we also learned that North Carolina Director of Athletics Bubba Cunningham has obtained more power in the NCAA, at least when it comes to men's basketball. He's going to be the vice chair of the NCAA Basketball Committee next year, and the year after that, he's going to be in the biggest chair. He's going to be the leading voice on the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament on that selection committee that he's been a part of, just not in a leadership capacity, the last three years. Here's what that means. If somebody has the power to be a driving force to change some of these metrics that our guy Steve Forbes complains about on a regular basis. I'm talking about the net. I'm talking about affecting how things are weighted. It's a guy who sits in that chair. And the fact that someone from this state and from the ACC is going to be in that position gives me optimism that there can be some change. And also, based on conversations I've had with him, he loves the sport of college basketball. He does not want to see anything bad happen to the sport of college basketball. He would be, I'd imagine, someone who pushes against the idea of expanding the 92. So when you're looking at the next five years of college basketball, at least you're talking about a secure NCAA tournament. You're talking about perhaps some rule changes that are going to be positive too with Bubba Cunningham coming into leadership there. And it's just another example of folks overreacting to things when headlines come down, like the recommendation in January to go to 25% of teens participating. Oh, it's going to go to 90, these money-grubbing uh, leaders of college of college sports and such. You have overreaction. You When USC and UCLA leave, the Magnificent Seven stuff comes down. Oh, Texas and Oklahoma are joining next year. The ACC is going to get poached. You see the overreaction? Nothing's happened. It's going to be fine at least for the next five to 10 years, the things that we love, the ACC, because of the grant of rights, not going to be touched. That's a significant thing. You talk about the NCAA tournament, something we love around here probably more than any other single sporting event. That's largely going to be secure as well. So that's very good news to talk about and to tell you about on this Thursday. You're on the drive with Josh Graham, WSJS. Anytime Jimmy Buffett plays on North Carolina sports radio, it has to mean David Glenn is somewhere. And I would say whenever he joins us, it's five o'clock somewhere. Right now it's actually 535 as yeah. David Glenn joins the show. And he's got a new venture. We got to figure out if Margaritaville will be part of that venture or Jimmy Buffett himself will be part of that venture. It is the David Glenn Show on the North Carolina Sports Channel that you can find, Sports Network Channel that you can find on YouTube. It's free to subscribe, just like it's free to subscribe to this show. You had your first episode drop today, and no big deal. Rob Brindamore decided to drop by. 
What more can you tell me about this new venture? Will Jimmy Buffett be incorporated some way, shape, or form? Well, it's funny, Josh, and it's always good to talk with you. Thanks for having me on. You know, this is not my maiden voyage when it comes to business ownership or launching a new concept. Back in the 1990s, I helped create the ACC Sports Journal and accsports.com, as you know. So this is more of a, and by the way, I sold those a while back. So if anybody's unhappy with it, don't blame me. Uh, now I'm trying basically a 21st century version of a new sports media model. Because whereas I love your show and a couple of others in North Carolina, the reality is so many people have been laid off nationally to locally and everywhere in between in sports media. Frankly, there's just not as much good coverage, no matter where you look. And this new enterprise with the North Carolina Sports Network will have a YouTube channel. As you mentioned, it's already up and running. It has the return of the DG show in podcast form so people can crank up. A lot of our live radio listeners used to listen to us in podcast form uh, probably for 10 or so years. So that's just a twist on an old theme, you might say. And just today, like maybe an hour before I jumped on with you, our website went live. So you can go to ncsportsnetwork.com. You'll see links to the audio stuff. You'll see links to the video stuff. You'll see my articles there and many more to come. So it's it's really just part audio, part video, part website, part journalism, part, you know, all the above. And um, I have some great partners and some great sponsors. And we're looking to reconnect, you know, on a larger scale than I've had in recent years with the sports fans and the people of North Carolina. Yeah, you'd be surprised, DG, the amount of emails that I get where, Someone will say on one day, hey, I really love your radio show. Someone else will say, I really love your YouTube show. I really love your podcast might be another day. And all of them aren't wrong. You never correct them. That's kind of what the medium is becoming where everything is a podcast, so to speak. But getting into the things you have expertise on. Big news with the ACC just in the last hour that they've partnered with the CW, it appears, to take the package of games that Zombie Raycom, or I guess whatever the RSNs have become yep. at this point, they've yeah. become uh, ra- uh, bankrupt, Take those, took those games, and now they're going to air on the CW. 50 games for football and basketball. It's going to be every Saturday, starting with Pittsburgh and Cincinnati on September the 9th. And, of course, anytime something's new, it gets mocked on social media. So you have folks that are mocking it, but... I think at its core, my first thought was this is incredibly positive because as an East Carolina fan, the Pirates opened up Michigan and the game's exclusively airing on Peacock. And I'd yep. imagine that the CW, while not ESPN, ABC, or one of these massive networks, there's a lot more exposure there and potential to reach fans. It's great news in terms of accessibility for fans than what the Big Ten currently just agreed to and what's going to be a difficult adjustment for folks who do not have Peacock subscriptions? Yeah, we live in a world where some people just complain about everything. And the reality of the situation is, if you're one of the many, many Americans who's tired of paying monthly fees for this or that, I mean, the last I saw, the average adult American subscribes to four different streaming services. So, you know, some people talk about the, the rising theme of cord cutting, which is real. But many of those same people, if you have enough monthly streaming payments, you're getting close to what you used to pay for your cable bill. So the bottom line is if you want content, 
you're going to have to pay for it one way or the other. And getting games on the CW is more the old fashioned way, right? Where you don't necessarily have to reach into your pocket for a new subscription the way you do for Peacock or any of the other streaming services, ESPN Plus, for example. So you could be paying your cable company for ESPN and then uh, your your internet company for ESPN Plus and the same company is is kind of getting your money twice. Uh, so, you know, you're right. People find something to criticize and all this stuff. But the reality is the ACC, for as long as I've been around, has always had that partner that sort of catches some of the lesser games and is occasionally given a bigger game. You know, when, when the ACC expanded its huge relationship with ESPN and ABC and ESPN's other channels, that didn't leave as many games for Raycom. Raycom used to be hugely important. I did some work for them back in the 80s and early 90s. They've declined in importance because the expansion of the ACC's relationship with its bigger, richer TV partners gave fewer games for Raycom to produce. Lo and behold, who's producing the games in this new CW deal? Raycom. So they're getting a few gems and some desirable games to make it an appealing package. But it's better for most consumers than the games not being televised anywhere or the games being televised somewhere where you've got to dig in your pocket for yet another monthly subscription. I don't see who loses here. Like, I bet you the ACC makes more money than they're making from a bankrupt RSN system. Raycom (laughs) Raycom gets more exposure for its produced games they still get to produce the games and it's going to be a national distribution rather than what we grew up accustomed to with Raycom is my understanding of this and the fans obviously as you just outlined pretty eloquently they have more access to it too so I really don't see who really gets hurt in this it makes a lot of sense on all accounts getting to basketball uh, David Glenn's joining us here John Shire had his summer catch up with the media yesterday they have this, um, speaking of YouTube shows and podcasts, Ryan Young does a podcast with um, various Duke players every week. They cycle someone new in there, and he was talking with Tyrese Proctor about how much different the offense is going to look. Tyrese Proctor said that there's going to be five players on the floor who can hit threes, and we didn't have that last year. Last year was the lowest-scoring Duke team since Demarcus Nelson was their leading scorer, and John Shire was a freshman in 2007. So without Derek Lively, obviously it's going to look different. A lot of the focus is going to be on what's the same because you have four starters coming back from an ACC tournament champ. What intrigues you stylistically about what Duke can look like when they're not this team that is so focused on defense and rebounding and as big as they were without Lively being in the mix anymore? Yeah, this is the classic trade, right, where you are giving up some defense with no more Derek Lively now in the NBA. That guy was a shot-blocking and rebounding machine, but not a great offensive player unless he was cleaning up you know, on the offensive glass or, or getting an alley-oop for a dunk. He was not very creative offensively. So if you truly have five creative offensive players on the floor at a given time, which the Blue Devils will be able to have, you could be the highest-scoring and most efficient offensive team in the ACC – the way some of these Jim Laranaga Miami teams have been in recent years, where in some of the Hurricanes lineups, all five guys could hurt you. I would add quickly, though, Josh, that for that description of the Blue Devils to come true, some dudes are going to have to improve their three-point shooting. Kyle Filipowski, the seven-footer, is impressive in the sense that he can initiate offense from the 
three-point line. I mean, not many seven-footers can do that, right? Not in college. The guy doesn't shoot 30% on three-pointers. Now, he may work his tail off and improve that three-point shot, but you're not hurting anybody if you're shooting 28% from three-point land. Even Tyrese Proctor, who is a heck of a guard, uh, wasn't a great three-point shooter. Even Roach. Roach was like 32% for his career. Yes. He's not great. Roach is a little better. Mark Mitchell's a good three-point shooter. Some of the newcomers will be. Um, and, you know, Duke has a pretty good track record of guys returning as a better version of themselves. So those percentages should go up a little bit. And as long as you pass the ball well, you know, everybody becomes a, th- a better three-point shooter when you have a little more room and you have good guys passing you the ball in position to shoot. I think Duke is going to be the preseason favorite in the ACC because of what we're describing here. John Shire, you know, is a second-year coach now, but he's also an ACC champion in his first year. That's not a bad launching pad. So I I believe in the Blue Devils coaching staff. I believe they're capable of pulling off this change in style. And personnel-wise, when you add the freshmen, not as many people follow recruiting as closely as they once did from the high school ranks because so many transfers are the bigger parts of recruiting classes now. But the Blue Devils are still doing it the old-fashioned way. They're signing top 20 high school seniors uh, and really in some of these years have had the best class in America. David Glenn with us here. David, the newly looked David Glenn show. You can find North Carolina Sports Network's YouTube channel. And like he mentioned, they just launched the website in the last hour or so as well. Be sure to follow his new venture, Rob Brendamore, the guest on his first podcast uh, today. Rather than hitting on both things individually, I just want to know which of these two college basketball-related topics is more interesting to you. In January, there was the recommendation that 25 or that NCAA-sanctioned postseason events, championship events, have 25% of the participating D1 schools be part of the event. In other words, like the NCAA men's basketball tournament, the recommendation would be since there are 350 or 360 so or so schools that participate in D1, the tournament shouldn't be 68. It should be 90 teams. Today, there was a report from ESPN that a change is not imminent on that front. That's not an issue that is imminent right now, despite that recommendation in January. And it comes the same day we learned that North Carolina's AD Bubba Cunningham is going to keep ascending. He's been a part of the selection committee the last uh, three years. Next year, he's going to be the vice chair of the selection committee. And then he's going to be the actual chair of the committee the season after that, which is a significant deal, especially if you're an ACC coach that is interested in changing what is weighed by that committee, like talking about the net, which a lot of coaches have, Steve Forbes, namely, the last couple of years, for example. What most interests you about the NCAA tournament, the Bubba Cunningham local example, or the more broader thing here about it not being imminent expansion? Yeah, the broader thing interests me the most because everybody has a different opinion on this, but usually in modern college athletics, if there is money to be made, that is the choice over what might be the right philosophical thing to do, right? And this is an example where there is money to be made for the NCAA to expand its NCAA tournament. It's, it's crown jewel. For those who don't know, by the way, of the NCAA's annual revenue, 90 or so percent is either directly or indirectly tied to the men's basketball tournament. Remember, the NCAA is not collecting cash from the football postseason. Nonprofit organization, DG. Right? So, obviously, it's their crown jewel. 
I think it's right the way it is at the 64 slash 68 now that it has been, remember, since the mid-1980s. If we get to the point in college basketball, Josh, where when you and I are looking at the last teams in, we think they are legitimate shots to win the national title, that's the time to expand. I mean, I like the expansion on the football side because there are years where you think Team 5 or Team 6 would have a chance, and that's why I'm, I'm glad it's getting bigger. Alabama, for example, college, to, to drive your point home, Vegas would have had Alabama favored over any of the top four teams. Great, great example, as I can always rely on you for. On the men's basketball side, let's keep in mind, the lowest seed ever to win the NCAA tournament was an eight. Villanova did it in 1985, back when I was living in Philadelphia. That's why I remember it so vividly. I was graduating from high school. That's the, low, that's the biggest Cinderella story ever, an eight seed. Well, the last teams that get in are, are 11s usually, right? So we're not close to the point where those last teams in are legitimate threats to win six games in a row, uh, or seven, I guess, in some cases, with the first four. So let's leave it for a while. Let's see. Hey, we've only seen immediately eligible transfers for a few years. We might evolve into a world, Josh, where you can microwave a basketball team so easily because of immediately eligible transfers which was not the rule. You had to sit out you know, for decades if you transferred. Um, we might get to the point where those 11 seeds have a chance because there's more parity in college basketball. That's an unknown. So let's, let's stick to what we know is great. Let's not break what doesn't need fixing, as that old saying goes. And, and let's reevaluate in a few years, um, you know, reserving the right to expand if we think that's the right thing competitively and then also financially. I'm glad you look at it from a competitive perspective because my approach is always to look at it. How is it socially impacted? And my first thought is I can get grandma to fill out the 68 team bracket yep. that fits on a legal size piece of paper. I don't think I can get her to fill out 90. And the point <laughs> and the point I'm making with that is if you lose the casual, then how much does that impact something that, as you mentioned, funds 90% of everything you do. One thing, I think it's an interesting philosophical question. Are there examples in my lifetime or yours where a sport expanding its postseason did backfire on them? Because there's always philosophical objections. You used to hear me say on my statewide show a lot, for every 100 people who claim they'll never watch the NFL again because of this happened, or they'll never watch baseball again because that happened, or they'll never watch hockey again because this happened. 99 out of every 100 people who say that are liars. The one example, the one example I can think of to answer your question would be baseball in 2020 when they had that weird 16 yeah. teams and nobody knew what was going on and they immediately backed off and went back right. from it. That's and the it only was example temporary, I can and it was pandemic circumstances, so it almost gets an asterisk. Sure. But otherwise, people make their philosophical objections all the time. You know, the NFL playoffs are getting too big. Or remember, in hockey and in the NBA, literally more than 50% of the teams make the playoffs. Some people find that philosophically outrageous. Oh, my gosh, you only have to be in the top half of the league to make the postseason? How can we water it down anymore? Well, guess what? The richest leagues in the history of the world, not an exaggeration, the NFL is number one, and Major League Baseball and the NBA are fighting at two and three. So after all the moaning and all the complaining with all these expanded playoffs, those leagues have more revenue than they've ever had, and they also have TV deals 
in some cases signed into the next decade uh, that that make you wonder, you know, how many of those people who say they're swearing off this sport or that actually do so. North Carolina Sports Network, that is the channel to look up. That is also where you go find the written work as well that David Glenn produces. It's good to have you in some forum back in terms of a David Glenn show. We'll have to do this more often, get you back on the program here too. Thanks for doing this. Anytime, my friend. You have an anniversary coming up, don't you? Happy anniversary. Thank you. Yes. Next week uh, is our five-year anniversary as a show. That's very nice. Best wishes, always. Good to be with you. No doubt. The Drive with Josh Graham, only on WSJS. Best movie montage in history. Going through the karate tournament, that song's playing, makes you want to get to work in whatever challenge you're facing in life at the moment. At the movies with the WD, focusing on Karate Kid this week. Before we get to that, though, a couple of Wake Forest notes to share with you. This is reported from Notre Dame's Media Day today that Sam Hartman has told his mom that he wants to make her a necklace. And that necklace is of his removed rib from last year. He wants his removed rib to be fashioned into a necklace for his mom, and it should be ready in a few weeks. We also learned that Wake Forest just landed probably the biggest transfer that was floating out there in college baseball. You might have been following the Wake baseball story over the last few weeks since their season ended, some of the guys who have been leaving the program, but... How about guys coming in? The transfer portal works both ways. Chase Burns, the right-hander from Tennessee, transferring to Wake. So when you look at prospects, he was the number two prospect in the 2024 baseball class coming into this season. He's going to be with Corey Mascara and Coach Walter in the Wake baseball program with that pitching lab and such. Some think this could be the next Rhett Louder. You have Josh Hartle already. You now have Chase Burns. Michael Massey, we'll see if he's going to be pitching on the weekends or if he's going to remain in the bullpen. This is just more evidence. After being number one in the country most of the year, Wake Baseball, they're going to be okay. They're going to be fine, and Chase Burns is going to be a big part of that puzzle. It's time to review 1984's Karate Kid. Unless you're talking about Star Wars. Obi-Wan has taught you well. Movies aren't exactly Will's thing. I don't get it. You uncultured swine! But that's about to change because Josh can't stand it anymore. This is At The Movies with Will Dalton. Okay. WD had not seen Karate Kid until last night. So let's get to some of the topics, some of the categories that we have here. What did you like about Karate Kid? Well, in the open and kind of like the theme and the tone of the movie, I mean, I get it was made the mid-80s, so it makes sense. But like just the soundtrack of it, it sounded very retro. 
Like the music sounded very retro, like I was getting ready to power up a Nintendo 64 and play Street Fighter or something like that. So that was kind of cool. Um, pretty much anything with Mr. Miyagi in it was my favorite part. Like yeah. trying to catch a fly with a chopstick. Wax on, wax off. Man who can catch fly with chopstick. Accomplish anything. There's my favorite quote, or one of them. Um, That's one of your best quotes? This is one of my favorites, yeah. Understood. That's the wrong answer to this question. Really? The right answer to this question is Elizabeth Shue. <laughs> That's the answer. Along with Kelly Preston. Now, this is before me. But what I've been told. Kelly Preston, Elizabeth Shue. 80s guys had more crushes on those two than anybody else in America. Everybody loved Elizabeth Shue. And there's good reason to like Elizabeth Shue because she is just delightful. And she's pretty. And I'm going to stop talking because it's kind of weird to talk about Elizabeth Shue, who was playing a high schooler but certainly was not high school age when the movie was being shot, but still playing a high schooler nonetheless and ogling at that the way that Brent Musburger would is as if he's calling a national title game and sees AJ McCarron's girlfriend now wife Whoa. in the stands. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to be that guy at all. But Elizabeth Shue is my answer to that question, and I believe the right answer. What is something you didn't like about Karate Kid? Why do they bully him so much when he just moved there? He deserves it. Why does he deserve okay. it? This is part of the reason. Like, that this was is something harsh. I, this is something I liked a lot about the movie. Oh, you like <laughs> Daniel's son's very annoying. Like, he's very, very annoying in the sense of, okay, you just showed up here. I was nice enough to invite you to this party, and what do you do? You're firing at the coolest girl in school right out of right out of the shoot. That's what you're doing. And then you figure out that she had just broken up with this guy who also is popular, like two-time defending champ of this karate tournament, and you're still, like, you got... Respect is earned. Being liked is earned, too. And I get you have a crush on her and all, and she seems like she likes you, too. But you kind of need to have a little bit more self-awareness there. And maybe when you're at the Halloween party, too, and she's into your terrible outfit where you're dressed in the shower, dressed like a shower. Yeah, what was that? That maybe, was bad. Maybe... When she wants to walk out of the party with you and hang out with you, maybe don't go to the bathroom and try to create trouble with Billy Zapka's character again. So that part is believable. What isn't believable, and the thing that I didn't like upon rewatching this movie, is actually Elizabeth Shue. So what I liked is Elizabeth Shue. What I didn't like is Elizabeth Shue because there's no circumstance ever that Elizabeth Shue would be into Daniel son considering all that happened you're the popular girl in school nobody likes him nobody he has no friends he's new to town your friends hate him too and is annoyed by him and there's and you just saw him get beat up on the beach that's very demasculating as well there's no reason whatsoever like again his mom's driving you to a date her car breaks down too. Like, your parents don't like him either. There's no reason why Elizabeth Shue's character should be into Daniel's son. None. 
I really want to step in here and defend the guy and you disagree can't. with you, but I cannot. There, There is no circumstance where None. all of those things would happen in real life and the popular girl would be like, there he is. Let's, that's the guy right there. Again, there's just no explaining it except for Elizabeth Shue is like one of these super women that just don't exist in real life in the movies. You did remind me, though, that why would you dress as a shower? Pretty bad. What's the best quote from Karate Kid? Well, there's... Ax on, ax off. There's that. Most iconic line from the movie. There, there's also just... It's not even a quote, but it's Mr. Miyagi whenever everything starts to click and come together. Oh. I thought we were going to do drunk... <laughs> I thought we were going to do drunk Miyagi in full uniform. How drunk do you have to be to yeah. offer a high school kid like Jack, Jack Daniels, and get tucked into bed? <laughs> How You have to be pretty hammered yeah. for that to be the case, Mr. Miyagi. Yep. Tough. Not blaming you. I'm not judging, but I'm just saying you got to be pretty <laughs> toasted for that to be the case. Um, Sweep the leg. Put him in a body bag. Where's your mama to dress you? I mean, there are a lot of great quotes from this, but wax on, wax off. Probably the right answer. <laughs> what do you think the score for Karate Kid is? I'm going to give it a 92. 82. Wow. And that's been At the Movies with the Nubby D. Yeah!